Go Loud. Podcasts, radio and music to your ears. I think I've been in love three times in my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And I And you're lucky for that. Yeah, yeah, and each each time you fall in love it's a new thing. You it's know? a new thing, yeah. And I, I he was one of the most important people I've ever met in my whole life. Around the world around the world in eighty gays. In eighty gays. Around the world around the world in eighty gays. In eighty gays. Heroes of our bygone days who fought for freedom and equality. Icons, anthems coming out Pronouns, drag queens, struggles, life and love Around the world Around the world In 80 gays In 80 gays Around the world Around the world In 80 gays In 80 gays you know, listeners to Around the World in 80 Gays are now dotted all over the world, Brian. Oh, but of course they are, Catherine. And this week, we have a guest who is out of this world. Oh my God, somebody from Star Wars? <laughs> no, <laughs> close. It is in fact an actor and writer and he's called Mark O'Halloran. You're joking me. He is my all-time favourite guest. <laughs> it's Mark O'Halloran! Yay! Hi, Mark. How are you? Hi. You're so welcome. I have to apologise on air. I thought it was half twelve, but in fact it's twelve. But hey, you waited for me. Don't and I was here ten minutes early. That's all I'm saying. I I'm just know. cutting you there. Okay. You're one of those kind of gays, are you? Yeah, I am. Yeah, very I good. Am. I love it. You're so welcome to the programme. I'm delighted to be here. I'm glad I've made it into the 80 gays. <laughs> you have. You're actually number what? five or something I'm like that. I'm number five. Jeez, <laughs> no particular order, for God's sake. Yeah, actually, we won't know which order these go out in at all. So. I thought I'd make it to bad gays before uh-huh. I make it to 80 gays around the world. But okay. I, I'm really happy that this has happened. Are you a I, bit of a bad gay? I was looking up some things about you online. And th- the first thing I want to throw at you, though, and this is something I'm interested in, which is people's names. Where do they come from? So O'Halloran apparently means stranger. Or from across the sea. Yes, that's true. Do you true. relate to that identification? Well, now, I think my coloration is very, um, you know, my uh, back before everything went very, very grey, yeah. I was very, very dark. And yes. I always think the Western seaboard has a lot of things going on with uh, with people over in Spain. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the idea yeah, you do look like you fell off the Spanish Armada. There's a bit of a sailor going on there. Do you know, yeah, my name, Cochalino Lynchick, means pure daughter of the long ships right. in Irish. Pure daughter. (laughs) (laughs) We might drop the pure bit. Well, if you could only see our eyebrows right now, ladies and gentlemen. There's a fabulous photograph, actually. It's in the National Archive of Photography. And it's uh, of these four women during the the Bodike evictions in something like 1880-something or ever. Bodike in County Clare slash Galway. And it was the beginning of the Land League. And it says this, the the caption on it is, the O'Halloran girls getting evicted at Bodike. Wow. And my father used to talk about that we were somehow connected to the Land League. And these women are fierce looking. And they look not unlike my sisters. Right. And it feels like a really modern photograph. And and they make a postcard of it. And I send it to people every so often, pretending I'm one of the O'Halloran girls. (laughs) Wow. Because they were strong women. You must actually give you. And they've just been evicted from their house. And you know that they were swearing at the cops and throwing lumps of turf at them or whatever. It's brilliant. My ancestors uh, were the founders in Dingle. And her name was Hussey. Imagine her second name it. was Hussey. I love that. Yeah. I'd say Hussey came from it because she was <laughs> no. a strong woman. I'd say as well. so. I'd say yeah. you're right. Absolutely. Yeah, probably did. Tell us about your family life, Mark. You're from a massive family, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, so I have five brothers and four sisters. Yeah. Um, and we we uh, were brought up in a very small house in Ennis County Clare, which was kind of chaotic. So there was the boys' room, the girls' room, and mum and dad's room. Wow. 
and a cat and a dog. And uh, and my dad worked in the P&T and my mother worked in a betting office. And it was always a kind What's of What's the P&T? A post and telegraphs. Uh, PT van, what time's my surprise at? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh. It was every time you saw a PT van down right. the countryside, you said, PT van, what time's my surprise at? And you had to give your friend a surprise. Do you remember that? I do remember. Oh, and the, the vans were, were like mustard and white yeah, colour. Yeah, mustard and white. So he was... Uh, he um they were it was it was a chaotic kind of family life but but very uh I, it was enjoyable you know and uh, my dad was into musicals doing musicals with the Ennis Musical Society well see now which was great <laughs> crack because oh, we'd go down so. and see the Ennis Musical Society doing the Mikado or something like wow. that and all of them wearing Japanese makeup and all of that all the I mean, it was definitely, you, yeah. and and actually it was kind of wonderful because you'd you'd see your dad stepping into the middle and doing this big operatic song and it felt could like he a, sing yeah my dad, dad was a great singer right and an actor <clears throat> uh, he was a he was a he, he loved acting but mostly it was the musicals What's that the he singer? did but he'd sing like his party piece was uh the song from the man of la mancha the impossible dream oh and he'd an hate you know song. that to dream the impossible dream oh lovely it's an amazing song and he would hit the high note Oh. Furniture would be shaken and everything. It was it was wow. great. So it was, and, and my mother is a great storyteller. So there was always that alive within the house. I remember in the winter times, mm. he'd have gotten his part in the musical and he'd be doing lines and he'd be sitting down with the and my mother would be on book for him. Oh, are they still alive? The my dad passed away in the nineties, but my mother's still around. My oh, mother's brilliant! In, in great shape. Wow. But I, I felt that that's kind of maybe where my love of of wanting to be a drama yeah. a drama all well of the my, drama my alone own. of living in a tiny house like that with all of those people in it the well, cast I mean you do have to you do have to kind of learn a trick so you you're do. not forgotten yeah. yeah you know you have to, to stand out yeah. you either do a funny thing or you've got a double jointed elbow or you <laughs> can tell a joke or you could like you know, there's farts, a thing or, yeah. exactly it's yeah. something like that in but, my case <clears throat> but it was something I could do Donald Duck <laughs> Well, but it was that and, and then when the aunts and uncles came around you were put in front of them and you That's did your right. trick oh my god yeah my uncle teapot. wrote the Offaly Rover and when he came my sister and I used to have to sing the Offaly Rover in harmony okay so come I know on exactly Catherine give us a bit of the Offaly Rover a rover I have been and a rover I will stay but to that fateful oh my god but Jeepers. anyway he was a lovely uncle <laughs> So yes, there was that, and I think that that's where I, my own love of drama. I also loved listening when my aunts and uncles would come out. There'd be loads of drink taken, and they'd mm. storytell, mm. and oh. they'd storytell about things that happened in the past. Every time I'd hear the stories, they'd be a little bit changed, and it was like as if the truth didn't matter in any of this. What mattered yeah. was we were all together telling this story for a reason. And that was the excitement. And that was the excitement, and I I loved all of that. And then so so that's kind of where I wanted. to to run away and join the circus basically. Yeah, and were these people easy to come out to? What was your coming out like or was it my gradual? Out, or? I mean, it's a weird one. When you talk to people of my age, the idea some people's coming out happened in stages, you know? Yeah. So like, uh, for me, I grew up in the 80s, right, like my teenage years were right concurrent with oh, the AIDS crisis. Wow. So nothing you, like, you know, I was 11 in 81, I was, you know, Ooh. 82, 83, yeah. 84, when you're coming of age and suddenly the AIDS crisis is massive. All you hear is yeah. jokes about AIDS or that it's programs about like these people are dying and there was Jesse yeah. Hellman, all those awful people in America. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of a weird time. <clears throat> I came out to my friends. Of course. Much sooner, that would have been my late teens. Uh, and that was kind in of... Ennis, in like, Ennis. In yeah. Ennis, yeah. And that was prompted by... 
we'd all listen to David Bowie and blah 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 and that idea of being cool and like yeah. you, it, it could be okay you were all probably gathered out, around a ghetto blaster yeah, exactly <laughs> and uh, I came out to my to my a sister and a brother uh, after that that would have been maybe I was 19 and the rest I just let it happen by osmosis oh. do you think it was obvious like when you when you look oh, back now oh god I mean I was an effeminate kid you know yeah yeah me too and I think that it was very obvious but you know, my mother always knew. She says, you know, that that was. I think mothers do. I think they know everything. I think they look into but their also, newborn's face and they know exactly who you, you are. You know, I knew my dad. I didn't say it to my dad actually, yeah. and but I knew my dad knew, and I think it troubled him a little bit because he was worried about me, and yeah. he died when I was twenty-seven, and I. I would have loved to have maybe had that conversation with him. Oh, I know. And it was funny. I was touring a play, and it was the largest part I'd ever gotten. And I arrived down and we toured the play to Ennis. And my dad came to see the show. Wow. And that was a big thing. All my aunts and uncles were out there. They all came. And then I went down to my dad's local afterwards. Can you remember the show? It was called Rosie and Star Wars. And I played a Claire Hurler in it. Wow. (laughs) Who formed a relationship with the Traveller Girl. Um, But I remember that my dad was sitting at the end of the the counter and my mum says go over and say hello to him and say, see what he thought of the play. So I went over to him and I said, and he was a man of few words now. Yeah. And uh, I said, what do you think of the show? And he said, I thought your facial expressions were very good. Oh, wow. Which was literally the greatest review I have ever gotten in my whole it life. It might be the greatest one I've ever heard because, I mean, look how much he was obviously studying you. Oh. Yeah, he was. And he was very proud. My mother said he talked about the play like constantly for the days afterwards. And he died six days later. Like of really? a massive heart attack. Right. And he felt... Like How old of a man was he? He was only 63. Yeah. So like all of my aunts and uncles who wouldn't have seen him for ages were out at the play. Like there was a real gathering. Yeah. of, And it felt, I don't know, the, I always think about that. Like a little I'm bit going of. going off on wild tangents Yeah, but it was here, like but, a little bit of the universe coming to say, you know, here, but, we need a little bit of healing before you leave. And also there was me stepping up on stage and I wasn't kind of apologising for myself or pretending to be anybody else uh, afterwards. I was really just, I... I'm a drama kid. Yeah. And and I felt that there was an understanding between us and sometimes you're lucky enough to get that. I mean, it took me a while to kind of understand yeah. that that's possibly what did happen. That is what that, happened, yeah. On that particular fateful weekend. But, uh, but yeah. And so <clears throat> now, I mean, you know, I'm out as out can be. Uh, as out as yes, out can that's be. that's right. I'm very glad that you're as out as uh, out can be. And, and that, that by the time I was in my early 20s, that was pretty much So it. who were your, uh, you know, we ask people all the time, who were your gay icons? Apart from David Bowie, yeah. even though you're a wee bit young for that, fair play to you for copping that. Like, was there somebody in the media, somebody on the TV that was kind of sort of obviously gay, but you just thought for some reason, I don't know why I'm so distracted by that person on the TV or in a film, let's say. Well, I think there was a couple. They were all pop cultural, you know. They mm. were all like, uh, you know. Uh, Boy George, I suppose. Boy George was there, although Boy George was so out he, there. in the eighties. Yeah. He was he was dressed as he was, but he was also saying that sex wasn't important to him. Yes, and I wanted right. somebody to, to say, say that sex was damn important. A, go- a good yeah, ride is good. Imp- exactly, it was <laughs> yes, damn important absolutely. to me. But I. Bronsky beat were really important yes, when yeah. I was like the oh, guy wow. standing up with this falsetto voice and singing you Home know Jimmy Raiders. Somerville yeah Jimmy Somerville I um, feel love yeah um, oh, like uh, uh, people like that I, I think then, then I you know I, I had very high art ambitions so I used to go to see Derek Jarman films and things like that they were important because they had representation that I hadn't seen before yeah. I was and like, what film wow. um, well 
let's see, the Derek Jarman ones that I saw would have been Edward II, yeah, yeah. right around that time, not which was nineteen ninety. And then Hedwig, I suppose, was out as that. Hedwig was, was later. Was though. it later? Hedwig was like in ninety six. I'd rem- say New that was York. a kind of I a movie that changed that. my <laughs> mind. Do you know, I was very close to Keith Collins, who was Derek's muse. Oh, Keith wow, and I okay. had a little relationship briefly in the nineties, okay. and then. Um, Can you explain to me who those are? Yeah, of course. So Derek Jarman, of course, being the, uh, probably one of the most famous people other than Freddie Mercury to, first of all, contract AIDS and die from it very yeah. quickly. Um, but he also documented his, his, for example, his descent into blindness. He made a film with just the sound. He didn't include any pictures. Yes, he called it Blue. Called Blue. And there's wow. a beautiful voiceover that goes over. So you go into the cinema and it's just a blue screen and you listen to this beautiful monologue about him dealing with all sorts of issues, but also about his sickness and ill health. And it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. A friend of mine jokingly, not jokingly, he said this to me yeah. and it, it makes me laugh to this day. Yeah. He said, I saw Blue, but I actually saw it on a black and white television. <laughs> <laughs> so I like, missed the whole point of it. I, but I, also, I also think that people like, for me at the time, yeah. and now I don't, like I'm not, a fan of his at all but Morrissey was very yeah, was, yeah. You know, yeah what happened to Morrissey <laughs> he went very far right but, but he? he sang things like in the 80s um, there's a place you want to go you could meet somebody who really loves his you his so music you go and you his stand poetry and you leave on your own yeah. you go home and you cry and you want to yeah. die and it was like the teenage yeah. gay in yeah. you and that he was I didn't get Morrissey till I saw him live and suddenly I got it here in Dublin yeah. in fact and I suddenly just got it I don't yeah. know why I didn't get it before <clears> and I got to meet him a couple of times and all that and you know fascinating he's kind of like uh, you know if Oscar Wilde and James Dean had a baby yeah you know <laughs> kind of thing um, extremely stylish young man I think I, he's just looking for notice with his kind of uh, well, no, uh, I mean, notions nowadays but he still is a major artist I think the clues were there Mark don't you think yeah, I a, do. there's was, a song there on one of his solo records called Bengali and Platforms, platforms yeah. oh, wow. which is basically Shave saying your western dreams look at that Indian fella trying to look western Oh, that's what that song is kind of about. If I'm right, it's, yeah, it is, and it's on his first solo album, yeah. and it's really unpleasant to listen to, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think there was when I was in Ennis Library at the age of sixteen or seventeen, and I was looking for. I'm trying to picture you. What was your hair like? Desperate is all I, I come say. on. Describe. I'd it. say he had lots of it anyway. He still has lots of it. Very long hair at one point when I was in my teens, but <laughs> I was looking for representation. Like I was looking for something that would say yeah. the word gay, and yeah. I found this copy of the book by Edmund White called <gasps> The Boy's Own Story. Oh, and if anybody has read The Boy's Own Story. What I a cannot book. tell you how revolutionary it was for yeah. me. And, and who wrote this book? Edmund, Edmund, Edmund Wise. Oh wow. Okay, we'll put and that Edmund in the White notes. Is now one of the the great granddaddies. I have great name drop for you. I went to the launch of Edmund White's book. Um, not that well, I suppose a while back, and he was talking about some of the hottest sex he'd ever had, and it was with a married man. Uh, in France when he was living La Flanere, that kind yeah, of yeah, period, yeah, yeah. and he was talking about it at this, you know. He was giving a talk with, about the most recent book, uh, My Lives, that autobiography he has, you know, beautiful book. So afterwards, I, I went up to him afterwards and said, Look, would you sign my book? And I said, I love that story about you and that Frenchman. And he wrote in my book to Brian Kennedy, the best sex I ever had. Fabulous. I know. But reading that book, that's brilliant. The Ennis Library in 1986 or 1987. That's groundbreaking. Yeah, you kind of go like, okay. I can get through all of this. And then subsequently, I went to Galway when I left school for about five minutes and I really didn't like it and I wasn't happy there. I went to college there for a bit and I didn't finish anything. (laughs) And then I went off to Amsterdam to to live for a year when I was 19 slash 20. And I arrived. I I told this story quite a lot, but 
I was there in my bad Dunstores jacket and <laughs> my flared jeans and all of these people Miami Vice were completely beautiful in this this gay bar that I had <clears throat> got the address of in some guide that I'd found yeah, in a shop back page or something and I was like my God, all these people. And I must have looked terrified because I was I was very obviously young. And and this English tourist turned to me and he goes, you all right, mate? And uh, I turned to him and I said, are all these people gay? <laughs> and he broke his shite. Oh, I'd say he? And I tell you what, I had a fantastic weekend is all oh, I'd say. I'd say oh. so. <clears throat> and, you could was. write uh, in the leaf of his book, I'd say. But it was <laughs> to Brian Kennedy. Yeah. When I, Isn't I, gay sex great? I mean, it's hot. Well, I, you know, I, I would say I practice, you know, yeah. and I'm trying yeah. to get perfect at it. To be honest, sex is just great, <laughs> full stop, you know? Yeah, it is. Gay there's or straight. There's a lot to be said There's for a lot to be said for the, just the union of two people yeah, and the passion well, and the, you know, the, the release. The of it, as we oh. say, you know, I love that. Need for okay, everybody take people. their clothes off. <laughs> the need to, for, for intimacy and to be close yeah. to someone and to be validated in that way is, but it's is also the most human you feel is I think yeah. uh, is when so, well, you feel in, a bit animal you know what yeah. I mean oh yeah okay I think <laughs> it, intimacy makes you kind I think you learn yeah. how to be kind when you're intimate yeah, with for somebody sure. for sure yeah. and it doesn't necessarily have to be sex it's just a really close friendship with somebody but when mm-hmm. you take it further and you re- really get into somebody in yeah. somebody else's intimate space like that I think that's where you learn how to be kind mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I think so mm. a real nasty <laughs> <laughs> There's a new well, side of Catherine Lynch lucky. coming out here, ladies and gentlemen. I was always very lucky because I'm a, a lifelong, well, almost a lifelong, uh, adult lifelong vegetarian. Right. So I never got into I'm the vegetarian leather thing. Too. Yeah. So I was like, never wear yeah. leather. Yeah. I mean, each to their own and all of that. But yes, I, I think yeah. masculinity really belongs on the inside of somebody, not, not on the outside necessarily. Correct. So Mark, you went from this little boy, well, at, uh, that was looking for signs in Ennis, yeah. to this fantastic man who was brave enough to go to Amsterdam and into a gay bar, and then to the writer who wrote Rialto. So it was a huge uh, jump from there to write one of the most kind of dark in places and seriously raw. Mm. Movies, Rialto. It's yeah. That I was put a journey. Rialto on the map. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, <laughs> that was a massive journey. Um, I, 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 I mean, it is a long journey. When you see, like, I didn't write till very late in life. I, I, I wanted to be an actor, yeah. and I wanted to mess on the stage and have the crack. Yeah, yeah. and I did have that during my twenties, and it kind of then began to disappear a little bit. And I felt that there were other voices in my head that I needed to get out in other ways. Yes. Yeah. And I began to sort of dabble with it and it quickly moved. You know, I, you know, the first screenplay I wrote was Adam and Paul. And that got commissioned like straight away, right? Well, I wrote this short play that went on in Bewley's and so, someone came to see it and said, do you have any ideas for for a, a, a feature length? And I said, yeah, um, <laughs> which I didn't. But I had these diaries. I'd been <laughs> since I moved to Dublin. I hadn't when I was living in Ennis, uh, you didn't see drug addicts very often. No, or you didn't early. You'd drink. see people who were more mired in drink maybe mm. than, than but yeah. when you came to Dublin and I was living on Parnell Street you saw it a lot and wow. you saw it on the streets of Dublin and you see it today <laughs> and uh, I used to take down things that I saw I used to take down because I thought they were the maddest things I'd ever heard in my whole life or seen in my yeah, whole life yeah. and so I took and the language down. was different you know the language was different they were talking like you know like, the physicality like, the language they, everything they moved in slow motion when they were out of it and there was a whiny kind of kid's voice going on at times and I thought it was kind of clownish in kind of a weird and 
maybe not very funny kind of way. But well, it's very Beckett. <clears throat> you know, it's very Beckett's for sure. clowns. Yeah. For sure, And for it's sure. very Lauren Hardy in places. It's yeah. very, like Adam and Paul, when I look at my bookcase, I see Ulysses, mm. I see Beckett, I see uh, Joyce, I see Marco Halloran, Adam and Paul. I really do. I think it's definitely there with the classics. Like even it was on very late last week. Yes, And I, I actually that, was yeah. on the way to bed going... <gasps> I went, Adam and Paul, yeah. I have to sit down. So I sat down and watched it from uh, start to finish and it does not age because it is so full of compassion yeah. that you, you, I cried again. I actually cry every time I think of Adam and Paul because I live with those two boys, you yeah. know. Well, those boys, I mean, there, were, there, was a, there was a thing that I was trying to do at the heart of it, which was to give people the audience the names of the two boys and yeah. then deny them the ability to name them because you never know which one is Adam and which one is Paul. That's right. To this day, and I think so, that's true. And so the audience is struggling to name them. And actually, on the street, normally, we step yeah, over people we and we don't want to them, name we them. We want, want to call them. them the junkies or the yeah. or yeah. The, the scumbags or yeah. the whatever. And so there was a kind of a, that kind of going on. But I went home that day after they said, do you have any ideas for a film? And I was like looking through my junkie diaries as I called yeah. them. And I was going <laughs> like, oh my God. So I wrote down, I might as well have written it in crayon. It was like, two boys... Sunrise to sunrise, they're looking for drugs. That's it. They meet a baby in the middle. And I then wrote some sample scenes uh, and I dropped them in. And the guy, the producer was working with this director called Lenny Abrahamson. And he gave them to Lenny and Lenny liked the scenes. So they said, come in and meet us tomorrow. So I went in and meet them and they said, right, we're going to commission you to write this. And I was like, great. Yeah, thanks. Cheers. Cheers. Shitabrick.com. And I went outside the door and I literally was like, what? Yes. I have it's to like, write a film now. I have to write this bloody thing. And I went up. I thought the best thing to do, I'll go up to Anna McCarrick because that's where serious artists go. Oh, that's I right. love Anna McCarrick. And I remember being up in Anna McCarrick going like, how how do you start a screenplay? Like, I literally had no idea. Unreal. But that's the best question you could ever ask yourself. So I, you have to come up with an answer. Yeah. Yeah. What I did was I glued him to a mattress. Like, literally, yeah. it was like I was trying to make up things that would make it like, yeah, yeah I'm a serious writer. Yeah. That's that's the structural model. Blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. But I had no idea what I was doing. And actually, that kind of paid dividends because it ends up being not kind of like other things. Yeah. And I hope this is not too much of a personal question, but were you going out with Tom Murphy, the other so, guy so that was Tom in? And I were together for almost the, nine years. This is Tom say. Murphy who plays. Oh, I know, yeah. Who, who, I you know. were Adam or Paul, which was. You I can't were. tell you that. <laughs> I actually don't want to of know. Of course, yeah. I can't tell you that. Yeah. Um, you, you can see it at the at the, at the very end. Both of them, by the way. Yeah. 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 Well, actually, everyone goes. Uh, there was a scene that got cut out where somebody comes up to them and goes, "What's your name?" And yeah. I went, "Adam and Paul." Ah, oh, brilliant. He said to the other guy, "No, I mean, what is your name?" And he goes, "Adam and Paul." I tried to I tried to trip you up there, but anyway, um, <laughs> it didn't but, work. So me and Tom had been together. Tom was a really brilliantly successful actor. He, you know, he won a Tony Award. Mm -hmm. He was fabulous. I was terribly jealous of him. I met him when we were touring a play. I had two lines in the play and I was his understudy. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that's a play in itself, isn't, isn't it? it? I was just going to say that, isn't it? It's I kept saying to him, I might throw you down the stairs one of the days yeah. just so just I can so go, so on, can go on Yeah. But actually, he was a great supporter of what All I was doing. All about Eve. Exactly. <laughs> but and you are, Blanche. <laughs> but you are. But I, 
we loved each other and it was a fabulous relationship and then it kind of came to an end yeah. and actually it was over by the time I was writing it but I used to joke we were still very very close yeah. and Tom and I remained probably closer close. in a way yeah we knew each yeah. other very yeah. very well you know and uh, I used to send him text messages saying I slapped you in the face with a football today or I got you knocked down by a moped today and it was literally <laughs> me as a writer ex of Tom going I put you through pain in, this, oh, in the screenplay today well I remember uh, Tom Tom Murphy died at the age of 39 yeah, only and yeah. it was during the festival it was during the festival yeah. and I was in a theatre yeah. and I knew Tom from coming in to see my show all the theatre people yeah, used yeah. to come into Gubu yeah. which is now Panty Bar yeah. afterwards and it didn't matter who came in who famous person came in but when Mark and, and uh, Tom came in I was like oh my god yeah. it's Adam <laughs> and Paul are here and I had great little conversations after gigs with you but I remember bawling the whole of the theatre world bawled we all did a standing ovation for him that night yeah. all over the theatre industry. Thing. It was like so sad. He was sad. diagnosed and died very quickly. Yeah. I, I went over to visit him and I had done this show called Dublin by Lamplight and then I wasn't doing it. I saw that it. extraordinary show. Yeah. I decided not to do the tour of it and Tom stepped in and played my role in the tour. Oh. And they were over in Brighton and I thought, fuck it, I'll go over and I'll visit him during the show. And I went over and he said, I've got this lump on my neck and I jokingly said I was probably cancer. <laughs> and I, well, that was the kind of dark stupid humour that you'd have with yeah, your mates and your exes and all <laughs> of, of that. But he was a little bit more worried than I thought he was and then I was like okay. And then he, Tom and I met at a time and it was exactly a month when I met him it was exactly a month to the day that my brother had died of of the same disease that Tom Murphy eventually oh, no. died of. Wow. So when he was diagnosed with it, he knew how screwed up I was over the death of my brother Dara and he was like, I can't tell him that I have this And did disease. he kind of make a distance between you no, on purpose? No, he didn't or? quite. He, he just found it difficult to say it and then a friend of ours kind of went, look Mark, this is what's oh, okay. And I used to visit him in Beaumont. He used to say to me, bring me in... Um, do you know those kind of men's fitness magazines with oh, hot yeah. pictures? In them? Oh yeah. <laughs> Bring me in those. So I can I can look at these, leaf through these while I'm yeah. doing my chemo. Yeah. And I said I, I definitely will. And I used to be sitting there. No iPhone at the time. No iPhone at the time. <laughs> I used to be kind of fussing around him, and he was like, "Just would you leave me alone?" Yeah. And I said to him, "I was thinking of doing the." Camino Frances, the, the, oh, the yeah. Camino, and he said, "I would like if you would do that." Oh. And he was like, "I just." need time to get my chemo done and I was like cool I'll do that yeah. and I'll stay in touch with you blah 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 and did you do the chemo? I did I went and I think and I texted him every day and every second day I talked to him and blah 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 I did the Camino for my friend who died oh, of cancer, you? Cormac, and I did the same. I think same. lots That's of people so, do it. Yeah, so I'd nice. love to do it. I still haven't done oh, it. Oh, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. So it's wonderful. They call it the Rioja Trail, don't they? Yeah. If you're a red wine drinker, Yeah, that they, is. you do, you do. Yeah. And by the time, um, by the time we got to by the time I got to Santiago de Cuba, or Santiago de Compostela, mm. I got this uh, final text through from Tom and it just said, keep going, brave pilgrim. And I continued on for three days after on to, to Finisterre and then I flew home. And by the time I came home, he was in a coma and he was dead five days later. Mm. So mm. It, was kind of a, it was a kind of a wild thing. Tom was a really, he was my first love and I, I, you know, I was very lucky to have met him in loads of ways. Like, Do you think he was your greatest love? You know, each, I think I've been in love three times in my whole life. Yeah. yeah. And, I and you're think, lucky for that. Yeah, yeah. And each, each time you fall in love, it's a new thing. You it's know? a new thing. Yeah. And I, I, he was one of, 
he was one of the most important people I've ever met in my whole life. And actually, I knew it the day I met him. Mm. I, I don't know whether you know these things sometimes, but I you was do, go, you we were going the into the rehearsal where I was going mm. to be his understudy and he held the door open for me and he looked into my eyes and I literally think I saw the future. Yeah. I went, yeah. oh. So did you go you clubbing and all that sort of stuff? You did all the normal things before it got sad. You had good well, crack. Well, we had great crack. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, we had years of great crack. <laughs> and like, I think that me and Tom had this rolling argument that went on yeah, for ages. Well, yeah, forever. Like, yeah. Well, it's the best of friendships yeah. are like that. I remember one day we were in my flat and like I was pretty much unemployed for my entire 20s. Yeah. And Tom was like fitfully unemployed. But we, and there was no internet. There was no, and you were too broke to go out. Yeah. And so I remember we were sitting in my flat one day and we were playing Hangman of all yeah. things. <laughs> and I wrote down this, he wrote down these like big long thing and before I put any letters down, I said, Little Dorrit. And he said, yeah. And I went, all right, you have to go home. You have to go home. We've been actually spending <laughs> way too much way time. Yeah. Yeah. If I can guess Little Dorrit out of this, please go home. Don't call until next Wednesday. Oh, that's brilliant. So, Mark, what is your favourite um, anthem, like kind of like club anthem? I don't mean like, like the one that kind of makes you feel like getting up and dance. Yeah, your gay anthem. My gay anthem. Well, now, I like things that are a bit more left field, like Standing in the Way of Control Standing by in the Gaza, way of control. Like, which I think is a gay anthem. She's Brilliant. a really, she's a, an absolutely huge If you think it's a gay anthem, anthem, it's a gay anthem. But also, oh, she, it is a gay anthem yeah. and she's a, really, and she's a female anthem it, as well, isn't when she? When that comes on in a club and it's like, yeah. it's a bit old now maybe, but, yeah. but it's banging. I, as to what, like, I think things like Small Town Boy or something like that, which yeah. isn't quite an anthem or banging, but I, when I hear that, yeah. I go... Yeah, yeah, that gives me shivers. Yeah. That's yeah. a moment in time, isn't it? When a, yeah. there's a door that opens in your life that never closes again. Yeah, because yeah, it yeah. shows you a way to go, yeah. doesn't it? And that's how I feel about that song too. Absolutely. I don't think that I don't think I was ever the clubbiest kid yeah. in the whole world. Uh, so, 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 so those big kind of yeah. clubby songs maybe. Yeah, Pass you're more of by. a intellect. I've seen you on the scene all the time. You're having a conversation in the corner. Mark yes. is having a deep and meaningful <laughs> with Panty yeah. or yeah. with or whoever. Or we see you in the street with a load of amazing vinyl under your yeah. arm. You've well, just I been. buy records. Yeah, But my record collection is incredibly eclectic and yeah. mad. Yeah. Yeah. If, it's, if it's somebody, if, if it's, you know, I've got this record of from the Thai elephant sanctuary of elephants playing drums. Elephants. L- elephants. And you, you, you wake well, up in the morning. I saw that in the record shop and went, my kind of record. <laughs> I, I read that you wake up in the morning, you put a record I on. Do. That's do, a do. wonderful way to avoid all this negativity yeah. that's in yeah. the air. But I'm sure you're very well read on what's happening in the world. But I think we all need to do that in this modern world is to have a little escapism through art every day. Yeah, yeah. You yeah know, I think that's right. That's I read a poem it, before yeah. I go to bed every night because I need to distance myself from the screen mm. so I, I take a half an hour and I read a poem and I think about the poem and I let it seep into my soul nice. and then I go to sleep Have you read any of her poetry yet? No I haven't oh, extremely good I mean, I'm terribly shy being a granny of Patrick Kavanagh is very hard yeah, <laughs> to, That is quite the mantle to carry yeah, around I know oh, God. <laughs> So yeah so I don't really uh, disclose hey, it that what often What is the best advice that you were ever given in your life so far? You know, life can be so confusing sometimes and it goes in waves. You don't realise it. But I think something as simple as just keep going. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I remember Patrick Scott. I was able to have a lovely conversation with that man. Cue the chandelier dropping. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, and that's exactly what he said. It just goes, Brian, this, you're in this for the long 
term. Like you continue to make your art until you're unable to do it anymore in mm. hopefully in very old age. And he was in a chair. He could barely walk at that point in his life. And I remember really taking that away, thinking it's such a simple thing to say, but it's absolutely correct. And certainly I think we all feel after two years of lockdown, if you still want to make art after two years yeah. of not being able to do it and not being paid to do it, then you're really in it for the long but run. But I, I was always taken by, you know, people would say, oh, you know, you 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 want to make it, and I was always wondering, like, where where is the destination? Point? Yeah. And actually, your career can only be judged in totality, and that is about keeping going yeah. all the way, creating all the way right till the end, yeah. till you're gone, and then yeah. then it's up to other people to judge what you've done. That's right. Uh, and you know, sometimes we judge ourselves too harshly, or we put these kind of, oh, I wish I was as successful as them, or mm. I wish I'd hit those heights, or blah blah blah. But our own journey is our own journey. And Isn't I think it? And it's very private. Everyone just wants me to be Sheila Sheik all the time, but there's so many different things I love doing. Yeah, but you've got, you've got a, a huge range of characters that you've <laughs> always played and like you, your your achievements are huge. But uh, the but I also think, like yourself, like the, the most horrible part of my journey as a creative person, which I hope I am, is the fame bit. I hated it. I hated mm. every bit of it. I hated going down the street and everyone wanting to take a selfie and I hated the invasion in my space. Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing we're not taught in in college or yeah, in yeah, school yeah, yeah. when and we you go, can't be taught you, it until you, you can't experience be taught it, it until you yeah. experience it mm. and i don't i don't have it as much now and i don't miss it so lots of people like and then i what i hate now is the reaction to people me with not having it too much going ah poor catherine she's not in the telly anymore so now yeah. the question i get instead of going will you will you do a selfie for me matt now i get we haven't seen you on the telly in a while now catherine my, <laughs> it's like my, as if god love me it's all over can i remind you of one of my most favorite ones we were out together somewhere and this woman shouts at her will you sign me baby she literally came over with a baby and a marker and, a marker. and wanted oh, me to sign the god. child's bum if i had not seen that i wouldn't believe it i've never had to deal with that the only time fame, fame ever really affected my life mm-hmm. in any way and it's only a tiny way, but it's kind of funny. I was in Beaumont Hospital with Tom, who oh. was very sick at the time, and he had told me that he'd got this scan done and that the the, the news wasn't good. So we were both sitting in the foyer of the, the hospital and I was crying and he was crying. And then this guy passed by and went, oh, fuck's sake. Oh, look, it's Adam and Paul. Hold on, <laughs> lads, <laughs> lads, come oh. here. It's Adam and Paul. Oh. And myself and Tom were like, oh. Oh, and we actually no. laughed at it and we had to stand up and yeah. take photographs with the and Tom yeah. with all this bad news that he just oh imparted my. to me. It broke all that tension. But it did yeah. actually and it was quite sweet. Mark, it's another movie, isn't it? Yeah. Yourself and Tom's relationship connected with the Adam and Paul. It's a novel. I wonder, could you write well, He the... always, you know, he always told me that I ruined his life and I was saying, why? And he goes, because he'd be coming in from Lucan on the bus and yeah. somebody would be shouting at him, I'm not wiping myself with a potato bag. <laughs> and he, and Tom was so shy. And so, so and shy. he actually was very nice not like the character in Adam and Paul. I mean, he's just a, a mean, really I sophisticated think, man. Yeah, I think his performance in that film was one of the best Irish performances in a film ever yeah. in the history yeah. of, I totally of, agree. of Irish cinema. Mm-hmm. And I, one of the things I did miss about him when I when he was gone was all of the stuff he was going to do. Yeah. All, he yeah. was going yeah, to Yeah, but you make, drive yourself mad with that kind of you stuff. Do, you do, you do, you yeah. do. And I, I mean, I've, I mean, not to go back to it and labour on it, but grief is a very strange thing and mm. grief is it's powerful yeah and it can wreck your life though. it can really wreck your life and the, yeah. it's trying to figure out is this healthy anymore like is mm. what I'm feeling healthy anymore am I stuck mm. you have to park it don't you you have to it doesn't get any smaller but you really just but have I to park to it at some like, stage I'm a very messy person at the best of times and during Tom's 
in the aftermath of his death, I used, I used to kind of look at some photographs that I'd have and you know, maybe some photographs would fall off a, a shelf or whatever yeah. and they'd be on the ground. And I remember one morning, it was about six months after he had died, I stepped over what were photographs on the ground and it was a picture of him looking up at me and it was literally like I'd been punched in the stomach. Mm-hmm. I literally it was like the stop. first time you met him again, like that eye and contact. And that happens again and again and again and, and it's... It was, yeah, it was a really... How did you break the cycle of that? Or, or have you, you just lived through it? Yeah. And, yeah. and actually you try and be, you try and be positive about mm. it in some way. Mm-hmm. You kind of try and reach out to people and you try and yeah. Put yourself celebrate in situations yeah. that And actually, sad. because I had told you that, that my brother had died before that, my brother died when I was 21 and he was 23 or something like that and I have the same. And I missed him terribly. But yeah. actually Tom's death nearly debilitated me. Yeah. Because I think that grief grief is an energy and it it uh, transforms itself into the next grief and it makes it bigger. Perhaps I really do. It could be, it could be. But like I now I'm able to say like Wasn't he the crack? <laughs> he was the crack. I mean, we used to have terrible crack. Oh, when I say oh crack God. it was Oh come arguing. on, tell us more than that. Um, Give us I a just like I mean Tom was such a mad lunatic at the best of times he'd arrive into the pub at like five o'clock I'd meet, I'd meet him in there and he'd go can I have a pint of lager please and a, pu- and a pint of water and he'd put two salpidine into the pint of water drink that and then drink his pint and then drink his pint I think everyone in the were you Sarpedine. drinking then? I used to be drinking back then yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't drink anymore but um, but and actually I think that one of the things that made me gave up drinking was going through the grief process and sometimes you use yeah. drink to mask all of this and actually yeah. Yeah. you need to go through it you need and to so go through I it. stopped drinking to try and see whether I could go through it a bit more yeah. and then I just never started drinking again. So Yeah, that's yeah. what people say. Anna Nolan says a very similar thing too. Really? Tell us about, were there ever a period like in the 80s or the 90s that you thought, I really don't want to be gay. I really don't want this life. I don't want what looks like a I difficult mean, road I've ahead. I mean, i always, um, how to say this and not sound really crass or, like I've always really enjoyed sex. So yeah, like, yeah. so I never felt, ew, I, I wish I wasn't doing this. Oh yeah, okay. Mm. But I did, I remember in my early teens or mid-teens where I thought this is too hard for me to did do. Did you have a girlfriend this. ever? Like a, no. a, a love with a girl? Or no. Did you have sex with women? No. Right. No, but I, I felt at the time, and I'm wrong, I was wrong, which was that how do I marry my family name my Irishness and my sexuality. Yeah. Like, how did those things fit together? Because yeah. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And it took a while to marry all those things together. Yeah. And I don't think that kids are, have to deal with that stuff so much anymore. Yeah. I mean, some of them do. Uh, but uh, but I, I found it very difficult. That, 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 that idea of Irishness, where is my Irishness and Where's my sexuality? Are? So mm. that's why uh, you've kind of... You know, uh, explained what it was like for for the marriage referendum. Then it married mm. everything, didn't it? Oh, Not yeah. only just a union of two people. It married your identity, your history. It tied you your know. relationship to the constitution, which well, I was interested in. Yes. I was like, okay, institutionalize me right now. Yes, right now, let me be institutionalized <laughs> right. like everyone else. Um, and I I felt it was vastly important. Weirdly enough, Tom. Murphy, I'm going back to Tom Murphy. I'll talk. You about know what? Everyone in the industry is going to love this if um, they're listening he, about Tom. In, in like 1996 or something like that, we were out at this bar and we'd been together for like four years or something like that, and we were out at this gay club night and we were arguing like <laughs> video. And I said, "Right, it's over. Is it? That's what you're trying to say. It's over. Is that what you're trying to say?" <laughs> and he got down on one knee and said, "Will you marry me?" Oh, and I was like, I'm getting a sugar. 
I was like, that is so sweet. And I think that we would have got married if if marriage was around yeah. at the time. Yeah. If you didn't have the frustrations of a gay relationship, you probably would have well, got I married. Well, I think that there was, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Bram, but like when we were, when I was arriving out into the gay world, you literally were making it up as you went along because Absolutely. there was no institutional guide rails. There was nothing to say. Y- well, you start off in the dark. Yeah. That's what happens. And you go like, do I but set you start- up home with somebody? Is that what we're supposed to do? Is yeah. that what we, or do we not do that? Do we not do that? Or And, do the, we, and the idea that somebody would never stay the night. You know, that thing where you do the sex, you do the whatever, yeah. but there's no question that they would say the night. It just, they just never would. That's just something that people... So, like I say, you don't get to really understand what proper intimacy is until later on. Well, I mean, one of the first sort of people I ever uh, slept with when I came to, back to Dublin after Amsterdam and everything like that, and uh, I stayed the night at his house. Mm-hmm. And I, when I woke up the next morning, I said, do you know, I've never slept with someone before. Oh. And he yeah. was like... What, you never had sex? I said, no, I had sex, but I've never slept with anyone. Do you know that? This is the first bed I slept in with another man. There's a lot of uh, married women wishing they were gay now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wish harder. (laughs) That, that, uh, we have to come to an end there, but that was just absolutely amazing. I really, really enjoyed that. No, you didn't, Thank you so much for all that honesty. Thank you so much for coming in to see us today. (laughs) 